Have you asked yourself what should you do with your next dollar? Well, is it saving for retirement? Is it building cash reserves? Is it paying down that dreaded debt? Tune in today. We're going to answer that question for you. It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. So, Bo, you know, I love to share where inspiration comes from. And we actually had a money guy blast from the past this week. As a lot of you guys who've been listening since 2006, you notice at the end of the show, we have our disclaimer right. for, you know, the, all the stuff that hopefully gets us out of trouble if we did something wrong. And, um, that disclaimer is old. It's from 2006. I had an employee named Heidi. I don't have to tell any more details on Heidi other than her name to keep her privacy sure. safe. But I had to reach out to Heidi because we had some things we were still working through on the tech, technical side. And I wanted to get Heidi's input on, on some settings we'd used back in 2006. So I had to reach out because she hasn't been with me. You came on board in 2008, and yeah. I think Heidi had just left. Probably 07 Yeah, right? so it was like 07. So she, she was there during the, the infancy of this thing. And one of the things when I was on the phone with Heidi, catching up, uh, it was that she asked me some questions. She was, I was like, why, why you got me on the phone? Hit me up with any free advice you want because I, I just appreciate you, miss you, wish you were still part of the enterprise as sure. much as possible. And she's recently married as of, I think, 2015. So okay. I, I still, when you get as old as me, that still seems like a newlywed, <laughs> even though it's over a year. And, and she asked me, she goes, my question is, I'm trying to figure out how do I prioritize? I'm trying to do Roth IRAs, 401ks, and, you know, take advantage of the employer match. I can't tell which order I should sure, do this sure, thing. Sure, sure. And I was like, well, you know what? Heidi worked for us, worked in the financial planning profession for a few years. If she's struggling with this stuff, I got to believe a lot of our listeners are having trouble figuring out where that next dollar should go. And right. especially because, and, and let me set the table also is I, I read all these articles and the typical American is horrible with their money. I mean, let me give you a stat. According to Go Bank, Go Bank Rates, hang on, I'm looking for my, my, my reference here. The average, here it is, here it is. Go Banking Rates Survey, 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. So meaning like 69% of America, if, if something were to go wrong at the house or with the car $1, or a medical $1. bill, they're just out of luck. And, and, and here's this thing. Nobody talks about inflation because inflation is supposed to be under control. But I don't know about you guys. Cars sure cost a lot more. Repairs sure seem to cost a lot more. There is some inflation creep going on in the background. $1,000 today is obviously not $1,000 from a decade ago. So it scares me to death that the typical American, the majority, a large portion, two-thirds of Americans, yeah, yeah. over two-thirds of Americans, don't have $1,000. So I was like, we've got to help our listeners not fall into the trap of consumerism. Now, here's the thing. If you're listening to a financial podcast like The Money Guy Show, which we've been doing this since 2006, have clients in 37, 38 right. states. Yep. Um, love if you like what you're listening to. You like the, you know, all the guidance that we're sharing. The free advice that just kind of flows out of this thing every other week. We want you to go to moneyguy.com. Reach out on, on the connection side of our contact page or Abound Wealth. If you go to aboundwealth.com, we have contact information there as well. Always looking for new clients so we can take the relationship to the next level. We are kind of our thought process is the more generous we are, the more successful you'll be as a listener. And hopefully you'll reach a graduation point that you need to become a client of Abound Wealth. So putting that in, in regards, 
the first thing I want to do is help you figure out what, how to take care of those immediate needs. If you, if you go to moneyguy.com and you start researching, you'll figure out we're trying to help you make better decisions, go beyond common sure. sense. But the first thing you got to figure out is how do we take care of our immediate needs? But all, <laughs> and I'm trying to think of how to, to make sure that we get everybody to, to think about this in the right terms. By all means, for goodness sake, let's get you out of this horrible stat of 69%. I mean, the first thing I would tell people, if you're trying to figure out cash reserves, what do I, how do I prioritize this or do this? The first thing is let's get you to a thousand dollars. Let's get you out of this stat and more, and, and, and also more importantly, it's going to make sure you have some type of liquidity in your life so that if the hot water breaks, if your car has a, you know, can't start up in the morning, you have to go buy a new battery or other things, you've got to have some, some flex in the system. So the thousand dollars is kind of the baseline of where I want you to, to, to start your immediate sure. needs. Um, after that, I mean, Bo, where, where's the next place you would go after, after a thousand dollars of cash? Well, what we'd like to see is once you have what that kind of baseline, we want to make sure that if something unexpected were to happen, because that's kind of what we're talking about is being in the, the world of unexpected outcomes. Uh, what happens if I have to go to the doctor and I need to pay an insurance deductible? Or mm-hmm. what happens if I'm driving down, you know, 65 South and something flies up and hits my car and I have to have a repair done, right? So what, what do I need to do to hit my, uh, auto deductible or my homeowner's mm-hmm. deductible? You need to have enough cash to cover those baseline insurance deductibles so that at least you can do that so the insurance company can pitch in and start helping you pay for some of your bills. And when you say insurance deductibles, you're talking, cause you mentioned quite a few there. Sure. You're talking about property and casualty with your, your car, your house, but you're also talking about health insurance yep, and things like that that's right. too, right? That's exactly right. If you have to go uh, to the hospital or you have to go see a doctor immediately, mm-hmm. you want to make sure you have that baseline covered where you can hit those those insurance deductibles. Now, the next one is a, a, is a little more aspirational, but I still think it's important, is kind of what you traditionally think about with cash reserves, three to six months after you get through the insurance deductibles, we start talking about three to six months of living expenses is the next place I think that you ought to look at with your immediate cash needs. So it's interesting. You said something right there, Brian, is that if the goal is three to six months of living expenses, it's probably pretty important that we know how much one month of living costs. So we probably ought to be tracking this, right? Yeah. And as much as I hate telling people go budget and do all the nerdy spreadsheets and worksheets, and it is important that you have a baseline understanding of what is going out of your house on a monthly basis. Because if you don't know your free cash flow, what's left over or what should be left over, it kind of opens it up to where you can overspend. Right. And that's what you guys will notice a trend. We talk about forced scarcity a lot. Do create, try to think about your cash planning in a way that you can create buckets of money that automatically get funded so that you are, even without creating a budget, you're hitting all the things that you need to. But getting back to three to six months of cash reserves, if you're trying to figure out, because you're younger, if you're listening to this or if you're older, you're trying to figure out three, six months, it's really based upon your career. I mean, how long would it take you to go replace that income stream? And then it also is impacted, are you married? Does your, do you have, are you a two, working household where both spouses are working. All these things will play into it, but three to six months is definitely something we should work to make sure you're bulletproof and have some some excess in the system. So, okay, so let me ask you a question, Brian, because I know that right now, you know, uh, now interest rates are coming up a touch, but cash just isn't paying a whole lot. And I'm one of those people who I've been really good at paying off debt, and I've really got some decent equity built inside of my house. If I have a whole bunch of equity in my house, do I really need to keep that three to six months of cash reserves there? I know why you ask this, because this is, 
I think you like throwing a little salt on an old wound. I have no idea what you're talking about. If you got, if you go back and listen to the 2006 podcast, guys, he's trying to humble me a little bit it's because I used to brag about the fact that I kept pretty much zero cash because I had six figures of equity in my house back in Atlanta. So I felt like who needs cash when I can stroke a check sure. at any point in time if I, you know, came across a great opportunity or if I had the, the hot water heater go out or if I had that car accident or medical needs, mm-hmm. I would have it covered. Here's the problem with counting on that home equity. I got an email pretty quickly in the process from several listeners who said, I'm starting to get letters from my my lender that they're freezing my home equity line. Realize, what is your cash reserves? What's the rainy day? There's a reason we call it a rainy day. It's usually when things aren't going perfect. Right. Um, so if you are counting on this money to help you out when things aren't going good, they're probably going bad for a lot of mm-hmm. people. So if next time we have a downturn, you'll, you might very well, if you're counting on your home equity, find that you come up short because guess what? The bank freezes your access to those funds. And that happened to a lot of our listeners. It happened to me. Sure. And I vowed to myself back in the 2008 through 2010, 11 housing collapse that never, never, ever would I get caught without liquidity. So I would definitely make sure that you, you keep straight up cash. The other thing is you, you kind of hinted at this, Bo, and it's, it's a, it's kind of a celebration point. Forever, we've been tell, trying to tell our listeners, try to get 1% on your money. Guess what? It is now a time that you can expect to make 1.1% oh, on your cash reserves if you go to one of these high-yield savings accounts. And you know, and, and hopefully there's going to be better opportunities coming down the pipe in the future. So, um, But it, it is kind of a breakthrough moment. Don't let that brick-and-border bank, brick-and-mortar, I, I think I said border, but don't let that brick-and-mortar bank lock you in to no interest or less than a quarter of a percent on something that really could help you build up, make, make that money work for you a little bit harder. So I want to make sure if, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, Brian, right now in July of 2017, if I'm somebody when I have my emergency reserves at a brick and mortar that's paying me, you know, 0.2, 0.4%, I probably could. There are options out there where I can go get greater than 1%. For sure. I mean, they're, they're, without a doubt, you know, it's not hard. Um, I, I, we don't like to do product endorsements, but sure. you can go to bankrate.com or other things. Very easy to see um, some 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 banks that will give you a heck of a deal on on those online savings and their FDIC. Here's the key point: make sure that that they are FDIC insured, just to k- kind of make sure that their financial stability is built into the equation. So once I have the emergency reserves piece in place, once I check that, what's next? <laughs> This is a big one, and it ties back to that whole consumerism thing that seems to be really haunting the average American is credit cards. Um, the Here's the thing that I think is interesting. All the things that have been going on in the world, and we have watched, even though we talk about low interest rates, you talk about your mortgage, historically low interest rates. We talk about all these things, your savings accounts, historically low interest rates. We get to credit cards we're at historically high interest rates. And you're like, wait a minute, there's a disconnect there. But this is what's crazy to me is if you go look at creditcards.com, they, they have the average credit card right now is 15.59%. That's, that's for, that's the average. So that means there's probably some people with good credit that are around 12%. Sure. There's people that have made some poor decisions, but still leaning on this thing that are over 20%. But the average is 15.59%. The only person that is smiling when you use a credit card that you don't pay off monthly is the bank. They, they, here, here's the thing. We're not going to go and tell you just go just completely cold turkey right. on credit cards. Cause I, I recognize there's a convenience factor there, but if you find that you're one of these people that cannot pay it off monthly, 
That is a big fail. You've got to make sure that you're handling these things respectfully because, but we did a 401k presentation yesterday and I heard you make, and I've used the analogy. Tell people about the tool of debt, especially credit cards and what you, what you shared on, on their usefulness. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot like a knife. A knife can be an incredibly useful tool to help you do a whole lot of stuff. But if you don't respect it and treat it with care and treat it with caution, it can hurt. I thought it was so interesting as we were riding up to that 401k presentation, we're listening to an autobiography of, yeah. of a celebrity. I don't know if you want to share it or not. No. Uh, and, but he was talking about when he got his first big check, he got his first big day. He kind of became famous overnight. He said that he immediately got this magical plastic card that never ran out. He said if somebody would have told him just to get a stack of $100 bills and keep them in a sock drawer, he could have felt the money disappearing as he spent it. But because he had the card, it just felt like funny money anyways. And I just thought it was so telling. Even someone who's making bukus of money, they still fall into this trap of getting themselves behind the eight ball. Yeah, it was about, and I guess there is nothing wrong with sharing. It was Kevin Hart. You know, we're listening to, you can't make this up. I think that's the title of it. And, and this thing is a hundred chapters long, guys. I don't know. We're only up to 57. We've been listening for eight hours. So Kevin really throws it all out there, but he does. He talks about that magical credit card. So if you are one of these people that's not paying it off monthly, you have a problem. I mean, and I would say that then you now have to go to the other side of the equation and figure out how we get you out of this pickle of, a, of bad debt. So here, here's our thoughts on that is I, I put two resources. I think, you know, and this is one of the things I've always been surprised that relatives, clients and others, I will tell them you're overspending. Don't go do this. And they, they smile at me and they hear me, but then I don't see a change in their behavior. Right. right. Somehow they, they go to Financial Peace University or other things that tied into Dave Ramsey. And this magical thing has been told to them that they don't need to build up debt and pay it off. Dave can motivate. So Absolutely. if you are one of these people that's not paying off your debt monthly or you, you just you don't have the discipline to understand or, or, or be responsible with credit card debt, I would go check out, you know, some of Dave Ramsey's resources. And then the other thing that we, we use, because there's a great blog out there, readyforzero.com. If you go there, they 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 have um, all kind of resources for you to research credit you know, sources and things like that, but they have tools on their blog to kind of talk to you about and keep you motivated on that journey to be completely credit card debt free so that you are paying it off responsibly. So I've got my emergency reserves. I've got my thousand, then my three to six. I've hit my high interest debt like credit cards. Okay, now what? Well, here's the big, it's kind of a, another big header because we had the first thing, which was immediate needs, and that was the cash reserves and that was the credit cards. But now we get to talk about, is it time to start building financial independence? Is it time to start investing? We've got our household in somewhat order on a cash basis. So let's let's use some of this free cash flow and figure out where that next dollar should go next. And, and here's the thing, this really, I came really close to putting this under immediate need, but I was like, no, let's let's get the risk out of the way first between the cash reserves and the credit cards because it's so predatory the way that the interest rates are on credit cards. But the first thing I would tell you, your employer match. Oh yeah. I mean that's why oh, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of poetic that we just came back from a, a, a you know a 401k presentation yesterday, Bo, is that we tell people, give them the analogy we talk about with the, the table outside the door. And Brian, I've heard you say it a thousand times. If if we were to set up a door, out, a table outside of your office door and say, hey, we have a free bag of money sitting for you. All you have to do is swing by, pick it up. There's nobody that would leave their office without coming to see us and get their free bag of money. That's the exact same way 
that the employer match in your 401k works. It's free. I've heard you talk about the rate of return that you get on that money. Well, it's 100%. And and here's the other thing. Uh, You know, when I try to give people visuals, I think visuals can be such a big learning opportunity for, for a person is that we've done 401k presentations where I'll show up with a hundred dollar bill and I'll say, okay, who's got a hundred dollars in their pocket? And if you, if, you know, let me see it. And people, first of all, they're kind of nervous. Like, what's this guy what, doing? What's, what's he doing? Why is, it, is he going to give it back? You know, they're worried I got some bad magic trick where I'm going to tear it in half or something. So they, they, first they hesitate, but I say, okay, if you got a hundred dollars, hold it up for me. As soon as they hold it up, I walk over to them and I give them another hundred. I said, this is your employer match. See, and then the, the whole, it looks, <laughs> you would think it's Oprah's favorite things because the crowd goes, the room goes crazy. They all get excited. So I, and the next thing I say, because you don't want to keep doing a hundred, you'll go broke and not be able to do too many 401k plans. I'll say, who's got a $20 bill? Every hand goes up because the, the hesitation leaves the room and everybody wants the free money. But yet somehow, when we conceptually think about our employer match, the percentage of participation goes way down. Yep. And I think it, and the numbers are actually bigger. That's what's crazy is people will go into hysteria for a $100 bill in a, at, a, at an employee meeting. But then when you start talking about thousands of dollars, yeah. when you're talking about because traditionally uh, a lot of safe harbor plans and other things, it's if you give 3%, you'll get 3% back. So if you do 3% salary deferral, you usually get a 3% employer match. Yep with a lot of plans out there. So it's not uncommon that it's a 100% rate of return. Don't leave that free money. That, that, that is just huge, huge stuff. Um, the next thing I had was keeping up with the concept of free. Because not everything's free, but there's stuff that has free in the title. Like, how about tax-free growth? Oh, that sounds good. I mean, Roth accounts, whether we're talking about Roth IRAs or we're talking about your Roth accounts, you know, like your 401k, your 403b through your employer... These things are spectacular in the fact that you could put ten to twenty thousand dollars when you're younger, essentially pour water and forget about it, and then come back in 30, 40 years, and this money potentially could be worth fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars. And here's the great thing: you put twenty in and it's worth sixty or seventy later, that fifty to sixty thousand dollars of growth completely tax-free. Now, the downside, if there is, it's a small, tiny wart, doesn't really hurt you that much, but you should know it, is that you don't get a current tax deduction. You know, most people, when you do a traditional 401k or a traditional IRA, you get to at least whatever you put in, you get to take a current year tax deduction. Roth, Roth, with Roth accounts, the deal is you don't get that current year tax deduction, but you get the tax-free growth. If you're a younger person or you're in a low tax bracket where the taxes aren't that big, that tax deduction is not a huge thing anyway, by all means, you need to be doing Roth accounts because tax-free growth is going to pay for itself many, many years. And, and think about this. Think long-term. We know that the America is essentially graying. There, sure. There's an older generation, the baby boomers, that are retiring. And, and I don't know long-term if tax rates will continue to, to stay low. Now, sure. you know, we all hope that they do. Don't sure. get me wrong, but I just want to be realistic looking at demographics and, and the, the economics of the situation. It's probably cool if you can lock in a 10, 15%, even 25% tax rate. Yep. That's not horrible if you can get that tax-free growth in the long term. And then the other thing that I think is really neat, and, and this is something that it's hard to think about when you're super young, but a great thing about Roth assets is when you get to 70 and a half, 
the government doesn't make you start pulling them. So we have a number of clients right now that we're working through required minimum distributions with them. Yep. We only have to take that on their pre-tax assets, not the Roth assets. So just another quick little aside about why Roth is yeah, so Yeah, specifically awesome. Roth IRAs. So that's one of those things for maybe you're older and maybe you're thinking, well, you know, that's great for the younger people who are listening, but what about me? I'm getting closer to retirement. If you're thinking about a state side of things and you think that tax-free growth would be beneficial to your heirs, by all means, it's a great estate planning tool as well. Um, here's another important one kind of on this process of building financial independence. Debt prepayment. Everybody's always asking us, when should you you know, prepay debt versus invest and figuring out how that next dollar should be spent on those type of things. And, and here's the thing, because we get a lot of feedback and there's so much mixed messaging on this between people who do what we do for a living, even people we look up to and sure. I think a lot of. There's a whole school of thought that says you should never pay off your mortgage because this is the cheapest debt you will ever take down. Um, so, and it's tax advantage by getting a tax deduction. So why would you ever consider paying off your mortgage? I mean, cause it's not uncommon that a lot of you are probably sitting on 30 year mortgages that are under 4%. Sure. That is cheap, especially when you take into account the tax deduction. It very well could be your effective interest rate is below 3%. I mean, that is hopefully at some point cash will be paying that, <laughs> but here's a problem. Here's the fundamental problem. Mathematically, they are spot on that it is cheap, that some of the cheapest money you'll ever owe. But what do we call debt? What's another name for debt? It's an obligation. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, obligation just by its sheer name. And what are we, financial, remember, we started this section talking about financial independence. What is independence is when you're free from having to have things pulling on you and chains that are shackling you and keeping you from making decisions you want to. I, if I'm the person that's trying to build true financial independence, I want the obli- uh, the word obligation completely ixnade out of my balance sheet and everywhere else. I don't want to owe anybody anything. So the good thing that we tell people, the guidance we share, I don't mind people having debt like a mortgage. But my goal is for you, by the time you're retired, I want it gone. I, I want you to be completely debt-free so that you own your life completely sure. without concern. Because when we've said it many times, there is a risk that seeps into your life when you're no longer working with your brain, your hands, and your back, meaning you're no longer getting a W-2 pay stub from your from your employer. Now that you're li- relying on your assets, it's going to freak you out when the markets get beat up. Mm-hmm. So if we can take away things like mortgage debt and other things that can, you know, really creep into the stress of your life and make you wonder, am I going to be okay now that I'm retired? Being completely debt-free is going to give you that that safety and that peace of mind. So is there a number or an area, Brian? Because we've already said, okay, I'm going to go get the employer match, and then I want to think about doing Roth IRAs. But how do I know when do I balance like saving versus paying more on that mortgage? Like, Is there a number or a rule of thumb or something I should look for? Yeah, because you're you're probably – you're hearing this. You're like, well, that's great, Brian, but where – you know, it sounds like I need to get on the, the horse of starting paying down this debt, but I've also got to make sure we have enough money in retirement. And that's why there is some good guidance, I think. And it, it used to be many years ago, you, you guys know I'm a huge fan of the wealthy barber and the number used to be 10%. Right. But here's the thing. We also used to all have pensions. Pensions have kind of gone extinct. You don't see a lot of pensions anymore unless you work as a school teacher or sure. work for a government institution. You just don't see a lot of private entities offering pensions. So because pensions have gone away, that 10% rule of thumb or guidance has, 
has kind of had to be modified. Right. Um, I would recommend between 15 to 20% of your gross income should be going towards long-term savings. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about your 401k. I'm talking about your Roth IRAs. I'm talking about just building assets for the future. And then after you reach that 15 to 20% of your gross income, and I know all my, all my 26 year old listeners are going 15 to 20% is he lost? I know it's aspirational, but you're going to see as you go through life and every time you get a pay raise, if you can put a percent or 2% of your new pay raise towards your savings, it doesn't take long before you are saving 15 to 20%. And you can count the employer match. You sure. can count the other things. You'll be surprised how if you add them all together, you're probably getting closer than you realize. Once you get over that 20% mark, by all means, let's start trying to figure out if there's a plan for paying down debt. Um, let's, let's kind of transition, Bo. Aspirational goals. Okay. You, you use words that I, I remember when I first brought you on the scene with me. You talk about stretch goals. Yeah. yeah. Tell people, you know, let, walk through... Kind of what's what, what do you consider aspirational or stretch goals and why should we even do this type of stuff? Sure. So the stretch goals are those goals that make you a little uncomfortable. They're the things that you you probably can't do the do today, but you hope that one day you're going to be able to do. So we've kind of covered the basics. Everybody should do a thousand bucks and everybody should mm-hmm. go get the employer match. And everybody should think about, you know, doing the fifteen to twenty percent saving for the future. But there are some goals that maybe aren't attainable right now. And they're going to take some work. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some some real attention to get to those goals. And so, so some of the next ones are some financial aspirational goals that will help you build that financial empire. Yeah, and, and I love when we use the word empire. Because I, I I don't know if it if it's because it makes me think of a Jay Z song or something, like that, but it just makes you feel like you're trying to build something that's bigger than you. And I think that that's when we talk about aspirational stretch goals. We are talking about something that is truly bigger than you. And I know I don't want the cynics, and that's the other thing I would tell you guys. Anybody who's out there and you hear me start talking about aspirational goals, and you oh get out of here. I can who can do that? You need to recalibrate your life to be glass half full. I mean, because that's the thing is I think the first barrier you're going to have to success is making sure that 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 little man or little woman inside your brain is lined up to think in a mindset, an abundance mindset that's going to set you up for success. And that's why I love aspirational goals, because if you start thinking about these things, there is something incredible that just happens subconsciously. You will find that there is a current, a path that you're being pushed towards just because I think subconsciously you've already started thinking about these things. So the first one we always talk about when we're talking about building the groundwork for building an empire is max out those retirement accounts. Now, we've already talked about the traditional 401ks, the uh, you know Roth IRAs and those things, but let's talk about how much, if you really wanted to load these things up and max them out, what what numbers are we talking sure. about? Um, Bo, with a, with a 401k or a 403b, what, what, what is maxing them out? Yeah, so, so right now, in addition to just doing the 3, 4, 5% to get the employer match, you can actually, if you so choose, contribute up to $18,000 in 2017 in that retirement account. And then if you're someone who's over age 50, they allow an additional $6,000 catch-up. So you can do up to $24,000 a year in this account. And, and how about if somebody's in, a, in a, an IRA, whether you're talking about traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, what, how much can they do in yep. those? So both traditional and Roth, again, if you're under age 50, you can do $5,500 uh, yep. per spouse, so 55 for yourself, 55 for your spouse. And then if you're someone who is over age 50, you can do an extra $1,000. It goes to $6,500 per year. And here's the thing I think is exciting. We have a lot of small business owners that mm-hmm. listen to this show or people who have side hustles or other things where they're figuring out how to make more money. 
If you have like a SEP IRA, a solo 401k, there's even greater opportunities because the government in 2017 actually just increased this number is that if you take into account what you're saving through salary deferrals, like that, that's the 18,000 or 24 you're talking about, they actually, the government will let you take profit sharing and other things like that and bring them in from your business income to where you can do $54,000 if you're under 50 and then 50 and over can actually do $60,000. I know, like I said, that is a big number. Not everybody is going to be able to do that. But if you're a small business person that's starting to have some success, you need to be thinking about these things because one of the biggest loopholes the government's going to give you is your retirement savings. So if you're not really trying to maximize that. People ask me all the time. I think, you know, they find out that I'm in investments. They usually say, what's a hot stock tip? When they find out I have an accounting background, they say, how do I save on my taxes? I always tell people, make sure you're loading up these retirement accounts because it's one of the few true loopholes that the government's probably always going to keep open because they have every incentive to make sure that us, the population, are trying to build some independence or safety so that we're not on the on the government rolls. So since we are talking about aspirational goals, there is something that we would be we would be remiss if we did not mention this, Brian. So we talk about if you have, you know, uh, different types of retirement accounts, you can only contribute up to $18,000 or $24,000 into that retirement account, no matter how many different employers, except for there is one like supercharged exception available out there. You're talking about with the SEP IRAs if you have self-employment income? No, I'm actually talking about with a 457. Oh, yeah. Oh, if yeah. you're someone who has access to a government different code section, it's a different code section. So not only can you do the 18 or 24 into the 401k, you can also do 18 or 24 into the 457. Yeah, if you work for a public institution like a university, medical facility, like a hospital or something, you might be the lucky person especially our doctors who are listening out there, check with your HR and say, okay, do I have access to only a 401k or is there also a 457? If you have both, hit, hit, man, oh man, I, I am so jealous because it, it means you essentially, you get to double down. Yep. I mean, you get to load up both of those things. You don't have to worry about contribution limits. So you can do 18 in each. I mean, I know that's a lot of money, but for our doctors and others who have good incomes, but usually a lot of debt sure. and they're a little behind on building financial independence, they need all the help they can get on, on building up these assets. So it, it truly can be helpful. Um, one of the last things I had in my, my show notes, because we're talking about empire building and being mm-hmm. aspirational, one of the biggest things that motivated me to even do this for a living was the millionaire next door. Yeah. And I thought it was because when we start talking about aspirational stuff and making sure you have the right mindset of glass half full instead of glass half empty, is that, and this is the, the mindset I was raised in where I was told rich people don't pay taxes, most rich people inherited their money. Sure. You know, I heard this stuff all through my childhood. And then you get out there and I started doing tax returns. I was like, People pay taxes, you know, because here's the, here's the stat that I want to leave you guys with. And this is, I, I was surprised when I was researching because I wanted to make sure I got the, the quote right, right and the stat right. How much negative stuff is on this where people are like, this can't be true. Right. Is that 80% of your, Amer- of America's millionaires are first generation. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. Say that, say yeah, that again. It, it, the, according to Dr. Thomas Stanley's Millionaire Next Door, and y'all know that's a big part of why I got into this. He quotes it in his book. That 80% of America's millionaires are first generation rich. So eight out of 10 millionaires did not inherit it. It didn't come They're from first mom and generation. Dad. They I mean, generated it. And I can tell you, we work with successful people. It's true. I, I, and cause here's, and a lot of you are like, no, I've heard forever. Everybody's inherited their money. Here's why this is not true. And, and this is, we've seen this with our own client base as well as just 
talking to advisors at conferences and other things, usually have one generation, you're wired differently. You you have that savers gene. I don't. They're going to find out someday there's a genetic problem or good thing that happens to you that you have a DNA sequence that nobody else has. It's called a savers gene. You're that part of that that eight out of ten people that become a, a millionaire. So you're saving the money. You you live like no one else. You're actually making the sacrifices. You're deferring gratification. Um, so you build up this wealth. Guess what? You got your second generation. You've got a little bit more going on. Then, you, so your kids don't necessarily, the, the secret sauce that made you want to save as much, they don't struggle as much, so maybe they don't get it. And then sure. usually by the third generation, the grandkids, they blow through it. So between the second and third, all of the first generation's money kind of evaporates and we start this process all over. So I, the biggest thing is, is just to, to realize you can use this to your advantage. Mm-hmm. There is no barrier that keeps you from becoming a millionaire. So don't let somebody tell you because you were born into this level of society or you haven't had this. And that, that ties into that whole Kevin Hart thing. Yeah. You know, we listen yeah. to this book. Kevin, Kevin made some bad decisions in yeah. the beginning, but yeah. he, you know, but I will tell you the thing that I think has turned him around, his work ethic is like no one else. That's I right. mean, he, he, to a sacrifice on other parts of his life. And I think that is a key thing that you'll see in a lot of the secret recipe that has made people successful. So we don't have to spend a lot more time on this, but it is one of those things. Just remember, don't let somebody tell you who you should be and you fall into that trap. I mean, because I think there's a lot of traps out there, as you heard on talking about the consumerism and 69% of people don't even have a $1,000. There's a lot of bad data out there that you need to go ahead and start getting yourself motivated to, to, to make the right decision. So it's interesting, Brian, you brought up like second generation. So you're talking about like folks, kids. We haven't even talked about, you know, where is that? How do you prioritize uh, paying for college and yeah. saving for the kids? When does that come in? It's funny. I've done so many because we've been doing this since 2006. I used to love playing Mama, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys by Willie Nelson. Because if you listen to the lyrics that Willie Nelson, he has no idea how close he came to being a financial advisor in there. (laughs) When he talks about don't let your kids grow up to be cowboys, let them be doctors, lawyers, and such. I mean, that is what happens. If you look at the research from Millionaire Next Door and others is that typically that second generation is your your doctors and your attorneys because, you know, you have success and you send your kids to the best school. But the problem is, is that some people... Use education for their kids. They put that above and beyond saving for your own retirement, and that's probably the 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 probably the the, the really the crux and the 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 root of the question you're sure. asking is, Bo, is that when do you fund kids' education versus when do you fund your own retirement? How does it go into the priority? Because we are trying to figure out where do we take that next free dollar, and and here's the truth of the matter: there is an entire industry for people who want to go to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. scholarships. Grants, student loans. Yep. I mean, I just named off three things where you can just go find chunks of money sitting out there. Bo, besides Social Security, have you ever heard of a scholarship for retirement? I have not, but I'd be more than happy to apply if there was one. <laughs> and, you know, it's not even needs-based. That's the thing is that there are no scholarships for retirement. I mean, that's what, you know, there's I could go so many ways, but I don't think it would be healthy are probably good for the show. So I'm just going to keep it under wraps on what you have to do if, you, if you're not making the right decisions and saving early enough. But it is one of those things where there is a, an industry for education. 
and saving and, and borrowing and things like that. Whereas you're on your own for retirement. So we always do tell people, make sure, and that's why it's under the aspirational goals instead of under the immediate needs. Right. Make sure you're taking care of that 15 to 20% of saving for retirement before you start funding your kid's education. And Brian, now when you were, when you were younger, right? I think this when you were a teenager, you were a lifeguard, right? Uh, that was one of the many jobs one between the- plumbers, bus drivers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, Keep going. So I had a bunch more. So swimming, not my jam, right? It's not. I'm not exactly Michael <laughs> Phelps, and we'll just leave it at that. But from what you've told me in the past, you know, when you go through like lifeguard training, one of the very first things that they teach you is like, if you're in a dire situation, you have to make sure that you protect yourself first, and then you save somebody. Or when you're on like an airplane, they always tell you, you know, put on your oxygen mask first, and then and then help people around you. It's interesting that making financial decisions and getting on solid financial foundation for parents isn't a whole lot different than that. Uh, The first thing you have to do is make sure that you're on solid financial footing before you can then help and provide a mechanism for your children to get on solid financial footing. Because what's the single worst gift that a parent can give to a child? Well, and that's what I was sitting there thinking, because we all know everybody's got a little crazy in their life. You know, <laughs> you know, and people don't realize they're crazy when they're on other people. Maybe, maybe we're all crazy. That's probably the, the, the truth of the matter. But we all know people that you look at them and you see their decision making, you go, Oh, they're living in their kid's basement. You can just <laughs> tell they're making such horrible decisions. That poor girl better enjoy all the things she's getting now because her parents are living in her basement at some point. And there's, look, there's nothing wrong with living in your, in your kid's basement. It's actually, I think the, the, an extended family can be very healthy for families, but you want it to be a optional or a chosen right. decision, not because mom and dad have nowhere else to go because they're broke. <laughs> I mean, that's the, probably the best thing you can do for your kids is make sure you're on stable ground so that they, that you get to move into their basement. Only because they love you and want you there, not because you come to them hat in hand and say, guess what? We made some bad decisions. You enjoyed that Barbie Jeep as a child. Now I need your basement. You know, that's, that's the decisions you're hoping you never have those discussions. So here's the last one on aspirational goals, because when you start having success, you want to be generous. I, I, I think that here's the coolest thing I've realized now that I'm post 40 and you start having a little bit of success is that the whole adage that you totally disregard as a kid that it's better to give than to receive. Right. I, as a kid, I, I heard that and I was like, whatever. <laughs> they must not know anything about the Death Star, the Millennium Falcon, or other things that I was wanting as a kid right. or, or the video game systems the that started rolling. The go-kart, the trampoline. I mean, I was like, what are they talking about? No, it's not better to give. It's better to get that stuff. <laughs> but there is something magical when you get to be older and, and you start thinking about life, memories, and other things. It's fun to see people's reaction when you can be generous. It's, sure. it's nice to, and it, that's one of the things I always encourage people when you start having success, start being generous with that success because you didn't do it all by yourself. It's nice if you can, you know, pay it forward essentially for somebody else. And here's the cool thing with technology. Technology is made where you can be generous and you can give a lot easier because, you know, Robin Leach and the lifestyles of the rich and famous or just all these charity things, you know, golf tournaments. It's not uncommon celebrities have these, these causes that they get excited right. about and they'll go set up a foundation. And, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to deal with that when I was in public accounting and it's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of stuff you have to do to become a 501c3 and to set up a foundation for your, your, your favorite charities as well as, you know, just your giving needs for your family if you're super successful. But now you don't have to do it. It's so cool. Whether it's Fidelity Charitable or Schwab Charitable, you can, for as little as $5,000, 
you can set up a giving account and you can, here's the cool thing that it used to be you had to have appreciated stock because most charities weren't capable of taking appreciated mutual funds and other things. But because of Fidelity Charitable and Schwab Charitable, you can actually give away, donate appreciated mutual funds, yeah. ETFs, stocks. It doesn't matter what shape or form it is. You can set up accounts and as long as you have $5,000 to open the account, you can do $50. That's the minimum to as many 501c3 organizations as you want. And, it, and what I like about that is, say you have some appreciated stock, but you want to tithe, you want to be charitable. This is a great way, instead of you just giving cash, sure. you can give these appreciated assets to these organizations, you know, to this the Fidelity Charitable or, or Schwab Charitable, and then can treat it like it's a, your own private foundation. It's truly an incredible thing that, that technology has made the life life of being generous much easier. Uh, one disclaimer, and I'm not going to go super deep into this, but we've had some people ask us about this. We want to make sure that we kind of clear this up. Uh, doing that, giving appreciated stock or appreciated mutual funds to a 50C3 is different than doing that for an individual. Uh, so maybe you want to give something to your kids. You say, oh, well, I'm going to give them this stock that I bought 20 years ago, and, and we're going to skip a lot of taxes. It doesn't work that way. Or, or if you're helping your aging parents figure out how they handle their assets, uh, make sure you consult with a tax accountant before you make those decisions or a financial advisor, because the tax implications are not the same for being generous with individuals versus being generous with organizations. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I was like, Where, where's Bo going? No, it's right. It, it, if you want, if you're trying to, if your goal is to be generous with charities, then I think the way we're talking about with Fidelity Charitable and Schwab Charitable is good. If your goal is to pass on assets to your children, be careful. Exactly what Bo said with giving appreciated stocks. I have seen so many horror stories because guys, here's here's the problem. If you die with appreciate, say you bought, and I, the example I've used just because we're from Georgia was sure. Coca-Cola stock. Yep. I mean, there were so many people running around Atlanta with Coca-Cola stock. Uh, my grandma bought it back in forever ago. We don't even remember what the basis is, but we, we she got sick and we just, she just gave it to, to all of the grandkids. That's a, that's actually a tax disaster because here's the thing. If she died with the securities, you get what's called a step up in basis. So if say the securities are worth $400,000, guess what? Date of death, assuming, you know, she didn't have a huge estate over five and a half million dollars, you got a step up in basis. So it was great. That $400,000, don't get me wrong. Great. Not in the fact that you lost a grandma, sure, but sure, you sure. get a step Financial up in basis basis. financially. That's great from a tax perspective versus you give away the stocks to the kids. That tax basis, of grandmas, which nobody knows what it is anyway, goes to the kid, to the grandkids. And now you didn't, you didn't get out of any taxes. You've actually just pushed that obligation down the road and created a problem for somebody else. So you're exactly right. If you're trying to give stocks and appreciate things to children, go talk to somebody because there's just too many, I've seen too many mistakes as people are, aren't making good decisions. But, um, well, Bo, we kind of, Hopefully people have a much better idea what to do with that next dollar. We've kind of walked through my biggest takeaway that I want people to, to, to kind of get through um, is just work on that mindset. I mean, th- be thinking about immediate needs because we did these in an order for reason, immediate needs. And then, okay, financial independence. How should we invest? And then, okay, what are we doing long term to be aspirational? You always do such a good job, Bo. Do you want to give kind of a quick executive summary of, of kind of the, the things we went over. You always do that kind of like an, as a wordsmith. Yeah, here's here's the 15-second uh, synopsis of what to do with your next dollar. You want to make sure that you take care of your immediate needs, including your emergency reserves, up to three to six months of cash, and make sure any high-interest debt like credit cards is being knocked out. 
after that, you can start thinking about building your financial independence. And the first step there is to make sure that you're getting all of the free money that your employer is offering through a match. Once you've done that, if you're someone who's eligible to make Roth IRA contributions, you should really consider that because those assets grow tax-free into retirement. Uh, after you've hit that mark where you're saving 15 to 20 percent of your gross income for the future, that's when you can start prioritizing and thinking about debt prepayment, like paying off a mortgage early. And then once you've kind of checked all these boxes, if there's still some money left around, you should shoot for those aspirational goals, like maxing out your employer-sponsored retirement plan, uh, thinking about saving for college for the kids, or even funding some of the charitable desires that you have where you can bless others with some of the some of your hard work that you that you've put together over the years. See, now you can take a deep breath. That was awesome. <laughs> Guys, as you can see, we're passionate about this. A lot of good advice in this episode. I think it's probably somebody who's right out of college, or maybe you have a young you're established, you've made great decisions, but you have family members. Pass this on because we we do this on purpose. Remember, this is a full circle type of obligation. We give you this advice with the thought that you're going to be so successful that you're going to get to a point you go, now what? What is the next step? And that's when hopefully you go graduate to the, the to the step that you say, we need to go hire a good financial advisor. And I hear those guys uh, on the Money Guy show loading us up with all this free advice. Reach out to us. That's moneyguy.com. You can also go to Abound Wealth to check us out. And then here's the other cool thing. We've we got a lot of stuff that we're growing into. So if you're not following us on checking into the social media stuff, we have a blog that goes out every week now. So you, a lot of you, you're like, I wish you'd do the show every week. And we're like, well, we, we have a hard time, you know, because it's all this content creation and everything else. Guess what? We have blogs going out every week, even weeks that we're doing the podcast. So there's constantly content. If you go to moneyguy.com, if you want to connect through Facebook, through Twitter, I mean, we, we're always trying to make sure that we keep top of mind for all of our clients so you can stay focused, keep prioritized, and just feel like you have somebody that's going to encourage you. We had somebody kind of make the analogy that we were like the Tony Robbins for finances, <laughs> which kind of cracked me up coming from an accounting background. But that is very flattering, and we'll take it. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to discount it anymore because we love being motivational for you guys. Do all the things we're going to do. I know it's only a matter of time before we talk to you and get to have that money guy relationship and make you a family and a member of the Abound family. So check it out, moneyguy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston. If somebody wants to get in touch with us, Brian, how do they get in touch with us? Well, the easiest thing is go to those websites. You know, if you go to moneyguy.com, we have a contact page. If you go to Abound Wealth, we have a contact page. It comes right through to us. But we are here, and we have an entire team of just spectacular people that are working behind the scenes to make sure that all of your needs are met. And we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And just thank you, thank you, thank you for all the great reviews and comments. I'm your host, Brian Preston. We'll talk to you in two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Mm-hmm.